I want you to open your Bible to the 12th chapter of Revelation. If you're carrying a Bible today or your phone, uh, or you can watch on the screen. But one of the things that's real important when the people of God get together for worship is that he has the preeminence. Now, we have the living Word of God. We have the written Word of God. And the written Word of God, the Bible, is something that plays a major role any time the people gather together in the name of our Lord. And we look today at a message. I'm entitling the message, The Power Over Sin. I could entitle it Power Over Satan because that's where the victory is won. You will never have victory in your life over sin until you find victory over Satan. You are not stronger than Satan. You have to defeat Satan in your life And then you'll begin to recognize that the temptations are not as great as they once were because so many battles have already been fought and won and settled. But when you're just dealing with the temptations that come, you start handling them one at a time, you measure this one to this one, and and that's not the way it's supposed to be done. And I want to show you from the Scripture today in a way that I think will be understandable to all uh, as to how we have power over sin or power over Satan because the Bible promises God's children that that will be true in our life, that we will have that kind of power. So let's take it step by step, and I want to go to Revelation, the 12th chapter, and I want to read to you just one verse of Scripture. There'll be many that we'll refer to today. And again, I encourage you to look at them with your eyes in any source that you have there, whether it's a screen or whatever, There's something about what you see as well as what you hear helps you to remember. So listen to the 12th chapter of the Revelation, verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Now just hold that a minute. That's confusing. I'm going to go back to it in just a second, but let me just set the context. John is writing, Apostle John, from a penitentiary. He was on the Isle of Patmos, like the Alcatraz in San Francisco. He was on the Isle of Patmos. He's writing from a vision from God, and he is writing what will later become the last book in the Bible, the 66th book when the Bible was put together. While he is there writing this book, he deals with something that is probably the most relevant thing we all deal with, and that's spiritual warfare. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and the powers of darkness. The thing that is an absolute fact is we are constantly in battle. We're in a spiritual war for the souls of men. And the winning strategy is claimed here in the passage and in others. We know who's going to win. We're not really clear who the enemy is at times, and we're going to try to see what that is today. Now, look what it says. They overcame him. You see that? And they overcame. Who's the him? Satan. Satan is the him. 
They overcame him, Satan. Now remember what's going on. We've gone all the way from the Old Testament, Adam and Eve, Satan appears there. Now the book is going to close out, the 66th book. We'll deal with him again here. All during that time, we have had to deal with an enemy. Until Calvary came, we had to deal with an enemy. Since Calvary, we still have to deal with that enemy, but in a different way, which I'll show you in a minute. But as we look at this passage of Scripture, we know that power over sin is a reward that we have when we have power over Satan. We are not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against Satan. The way you win the victory over the temptation is you win the victory over the tempter. When Satan is put in his place, everything else will begin to fall into place. Now, the problem with most of us is that we deal with the temptation without dealing with the tempter. And we go after the results of what the tempter did, and we don't deal with him. Now, to get a little ahead in the message, he's already been dealt with. Jesus died on Calvary to deal with Satan. He was defeated that day on Golgotha's Hill on a place called Mount Calvary. But we're walking around today thinking that we are the ones that have to deal with Satan. We don't have to deal with him. We put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ and he deals with Satan, but we have to learn the process that we go through and how we do that when the time comes. So listen again to the scripture. Colossians 2.14 tells us that our trespasses and sins were nailed to his cross. And verse 15 says in Colossians 2, Satan was defeated. Isn't it shocking, folks, that we deal so much with one that's already been dealt with and put in his place and we think we got to refight that battle every day. We don't claim our promises. We don't claim our inheritance, if you please. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We have now victory through Jesus. But our lives, so many, are in a mess. And not only the world's people, the church people. Because the church people don't understand they have bought into the idea, I can't understand the Bible, so I don't read it. I can never, because I've never gone to theological school, and so I cannot understand it. But yet the Bible says just the opposite. It says, if you're a born-again Christian, the author of this book lives in your life. And when you bog down, he takes over. Better yet, when you just let him take over from the front, you'll save yourself a whole lot of time. He will be willing to lead you, according to Scripture, into all truth. Christ's death for our sin is an accomplished fact. It is finished, is the way Jesus said it. Think about that. Think about the battles you fought last week. And some of them you might have lost. 
If that happened, listen carefully for the next few minutes. Because the Bible promises us, as I will end the sermon, that no weapon is formed us is going to prosper. But we've got to understand how to fight the battle. We've got to understand the source of the temptation and how that tempter can be handled. John 3.18 says, He that believes on him, capital H, Jesus, is not condemned. But he that believes not is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Freedom from sin is offered as a gift to every one of us. You hear me? Every one of us. Doesn't matter what our background is. Every one of us. There's a free gift offered. It's not take your chance. It's a whosoever will. But we've chosen either to receive it or reject it. And most have rejected it. Always have, and they always will. Now, the problem is that many of us that have received the gift have never read the instruction book. <laughs> now, we got it. We don't know how to use it. And we feel, we feel like kind of late at night trying to wrap Christmas presents or get them together. We think I'm getting late in life. It's too, it's too late for me to read the instruction book. No, 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 no. And when we don't, it ends up in frustration and listen, we surrender to the enemy. Now, if you forget everything I say today, I want you to listen to this next sentence or question. Can you imagine a victorious soldier going and surrendering himself to the fallen enemies? Any military man can imagine. The battle is over. We win. Well, I want to go to the enemy and surrender. That's what we're doing. We've won this battle, folks. We have won the battle. We're not waiting for the votes to be counted. We have won. Now, why don't we live as winners instead of losers? Why don't we look, why don't we look better than the fallen that never did win? Well, we can. We can. All we have to do is understand the simple ABCs of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. What it means to forsake all and follow him and only trust him, only trust him. Matthew 18, 18 says, Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you will bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thing you'll loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Now, watch out. I'm going to lay one on you here. You know how most of us interpret that verse? If any two of us agree on anything, then God's got to do it. No, no. If either one of us agree with him, agreement, ignorance plus ignorance equals more ignorance. Does that make sense in a mathematical formula? Okay. Now, what God wants is he's looking for his kids to agree with him. Just like he did on the cross. What did he pray? Not my will, Father, but thine be done. I want, we're Trinity. We're Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I just want to be what I'm supposed to be. I am willing to lay my life down. Father, is this what you want me to do? Not my will, 
I didn't look forward to it. I don't want to do this. And if it be possible, change that itinerary. But then he said, nevertheless, not my will. Yours be done. And when he said it's finished, he said, I finished the work you sent me here to do. Now, don't you want to say that when you get to the end? I have done, Father, in my world, to the best of my ability, surrendering to you the work you sent me here to do. Let me tell you, let's talk about prayer just a second, tell you a little bit more about what it is. Let me start it off by telling you that the prayer that gets to heaven starts in heaven. The prayer that gets to heaven starts in heaven. Now, I'd say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, prayer is the Holy Spirit finding a desire of the heart of the Father and putting that desire into our hearts. Then he sends it back to heaven through us in the power of the cross. Now, here's what that means. The Holy Spirit goes to the Father, goes to the Son, living in us. Father, what do you want this one to do that I'm living in their life? Whatever you want them to do, I will impress upon them to do it. And they, because I'm living in them, nothing will be impossible for them because they're going to move their life forward in the power of your might, not their own might, and so what I'm doing, just like Jesus said, Father, if it's from my standpoint, I don't want to go to this cross. But I know it was your will. It starts in heaven. Now, Father, because it's your will, I submit myself to you. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. When we understand what that means, that then we understand, again, the Lord's Prayer. How does the Lord's Prayer go? Thy will be done where? On earth as what? As it is in heaven. Lord, how's it, what's going on up there? How's things there? That's what we want here. So what do we pray? Father, as it is in heaven, bring it here. Let me be in your will here. Not my will, but thine be done. Now you look at your prayer life and see how many times you pray for your will be done, not his. You already know what God's supposed to do, and all you got to do is ask him in Jesus' name, and you feel like he's got to change the whole thing, but he doesn't. God is not looking for us to get together and agree with each other. He's looking for us to get together and unite our heart and say, not our will, but thine be done. But Father, I want from you what will bring glory to you. I know this world is not my home. I know that I'm just passing through. But I do know this, you've got a plan. I want to find out what that is, and I want to get in on it. You remember how Jesus, when he was 12 years old, he was in that temple? Do you remember the words he said when they came and found him? Would you run out here and do all this stuff? What did he say? I must be about my what? Father's business. I'm not doing my own thing, Mom, Dad. I'm not doing my own thing here. I am about my Father's business. My Father is in heaven. I'm carrying out what he sent me here to do. That's what praying is. Where do I fit into this? I want you 
to live in my life. I want others to see you in my life. I want, if I'm carrying a burden, I want to carry my burden different than the world is carrying their burden. If I, if I am going through some difficult times, Lord, where I'm weak, you've promised to be strong. I confess I am weak here. Please, God, please pour yourself into my life and let others see you. If you read your Bible carefully, you will see that Jesus never, never, never did anything in and of himself. Check it out. He always went to the Father. Always. Why? He was setting an example for us. I want to fulfill the will of my Father. Don't you want to fulfill the will of the Father? Of course you do if you're a child of God. You know, that's where the blessing is. That's where the strength comes from. Jesus loved to look to the Father and want to know, Father, what do you want me to do? In John 5, 19, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself. But what he sees the Father do, for what things soever he does, these also does the Son likewise. Do you find that true in your Bible study? Do you find Jesus doing that, or did he just talk the talk, or did he walk the walk? You know the answer to that. He walked the walk. In John 5, 18, 1 John 5, 18, we know that whosoever is born of God sins not, but he that is begotten of God keeps himself, and that wicked one touches him not. God sent his son. We are born in this world as sinners because of Adam. But that word in that 1 John 5, 18, the begotten of God keeps himself. What does that mean, keeps himself? You see, when we keep ourselves in the hands of God from the sins of the world, we're safe. We keep himself from the wicked one. Keeps us, he keeps us from the wicked one, and he cannot touch us. It's long as we're in the Father's will. Now, when we break out of the Father's will, and two of us have agreed, we shouldn't be at this place, we shouldn't be doing this, but don't you all agree? You're a Christian, yeah, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, yeah, you're a Christian, yeah, I'm a Christian. All right, don't you think we ought to go? Yeah, I think we should. Well, we've all agreed, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Only thing worse than two people agreeing is three people agreeing, and it gets worse from there. But our best example is Jesus. He always checked in with the Father. He never wanted to do his own thing. He always wanted to do what the Father wanted him to do. Can I give you a personal illustration? I have never, well, let me, let me start this way. I love the outdoors. I love to be by myself. I don't like to be lost and by myself, but I like to be by myself in God's world. I've been to Africa many, many times. I love to be around small groups where we have a common denominator. Round a fire at a hunting camp or, or camping out or something like that. From the time I was born till right now, I have not enjoyed being in crowds just to be in crowds' sake. 
I love to be in a crowd like Billy Graham at uh, Rice University when, when all those thousands of people were there and Buddy Griffin gave his heart to Jesus during that crusade that was on our staff for so long. Uh, I like to be a crowd like, like church because I know why we're gathered. But let me tell you what I learned a long time ago, and I knew this when I was 12 years old. You do what everybody else is doing, watch out. Because broad is the way that leads to a destruction, and many go therein. And I want you to look today how easy it is in our culture for everybody to want to get where the crowd is. Knowing full well this book says, come out from among them and be separate. If you do what they do, you're going to get what they're getting. And so just because everybody's going to that filthy, dirty uh, movie and you want to be able to discuss it at, at, the, at, the biz, at the office, watch out. When you want to go and do what everybody else, because everybody's buying one, everybody's going there, it's a big thing. If you don't keep up with As the Stomach Turns on its weekly broadcast, you won't be able to discuss it when they talk about what happened to this one, what happened to that one, that one, that, you know. If you don't know who the American Idol is and everybody in the office knows who the American Idol is and you just feel so left out. My dear friend, if you're born again, you've been kicked out. You don't have to feel left out. You've just realized who you are, right? And, and you don't have to be... Uh, senior adults, you can be 12 to 15 years old, know what I'm talking about. Most of the crowds assemble where bad things are going on. When I went to Jackson Junior High School, I lived right across the street from the church, Gulf Service Station on the corner of Jackson and Shaver Street, and every day, you know, two bubbles, you know, they're going to get it on. They're going to get behind the state, and they're going to knock somebody's head off. All the students, my mother and daddy said, you better not be over there. You know, my heavenly father said, you better not be over there. Yeah, but everybody's going to know about the fight. Well, I could see it on the way home. I didn't have to break stride because most of those fights lasted about 12 seconds, maybe 20 seconds, you know. They got all the girls around. One of them throws a punch. The other one starts crying. They go home. It's all over with. <laughs> but let me tell you something, folks. I'm going to be as serious as I can be. If your life is being lived right now when you're trying to keep up with what most people are doing, I don't care what phase you want to go into, watch out. You're, you are very likely to be caught up and everybody's doing it. And when you do, broad is the way that leads to destruction and many go there. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life and few there are that find. I hope that makes sense to you, but more important, that's the Word of God. Jesus was not with the crowds except when he was preaching the good news, sharing the good news, healing the sick, raising the dead, you know what I'm talking about, comforting the bereaved. That's when he got in a crowd. But once he was finished, he left, and he said, Go thou and do likewise. Jesus is all we need. We like to sing that song. That's a beautiful song. With Jesus, you get the Father, you get the Son, and you get the Holy Spirit. And to think that we have authority over the world means that we can do anything we want to do, where we want to, the way we want to, with who we want to, is not the Bible. We all have our problems. Paul had his thorn in the flesh. Satan sifted Peter as wheat. Stephen was stone. God took all of those characters and many, many more and used them to bless some of us. All of us, if we know the story. 
Nowhere are we promised that we will escape an execution. But did Satan defeat those people? Well, what happened? The Lord allowed it. Why did he allow it? Because he had a plan for it. We do not have to give in to the world, the flesh, and the devil, and the ram of temptation and sin, because he that's in us is greater than he that's in the world. But God's plan for us is not easy, ease, a way of ease. He never promises we'll be healthy and wealthy and have high social status and that we'll have any temporary pleasure that we want. No, he does not. What he asks of us is that we be holy and he will see that we walk in the victory. And we can learn to be content in whatever state that we're in. We must never forget that God makes the decisions affecting our lives in the halls of eternity if we're following him. He's got this day planned for us. He's got this week planned for us. He's got the rest of our life planned for us. All we got to do is check in. If you're going to play 30 minutes a day, talk for five and listen for 25 minutes. It'll be the best 30 minutes of prayer time you ever had in your life. Don't get up telling God how to run the day. Get up and be still and know that he's God and just say, Lord, what would you have me to do? And carry those people to the Lord that you're praying for. Carry this nation to the Lord every day. Carry this city to the Lord every day. Carry this church to the Lord every day. Carry those things to the Lord and leave them there and say, now, Lord, where do I fill in? Well, you could talk to me more. You could give more. You could serve more faithfully. He'll start saying, oh, I was afraid you'd say that. Prayer life over, I'm going back to the old way. I'm going to do my thing my way. Don't do that. At times, we do escape by faith. At other times, we endure by faith. We just endure by faith. At the end of the last service, the last person I talked to, was a lady that just came by, and all she said was, Pastor, I got a story. I want to come and tell you. Can I come see you? And I told her time to call and how to do it. But I could tell, I can't wait to hear the story, but I can tell that something is wonderful has happened to this lady, and she can't wait to tell how God set her free. Oh, folks, every one of us are sinners saved by grace. Every one of us, not only though are we sinners saved by grace, but we're heirs of God and joint heirs of Jesus Christ. We have a God that says, I'm not walking out on you. When, when somebody leaves you and says, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do, they left me. Let me tell you something. God said, I hadn't left you. And if you'll keep following me, I'll put the pieces together. But trust me. If we get sick, we're to ask God to heal us, knowing that he can He'll heal us by nature. He can heal us by miracles. And he can heal us by medicine. Or he can heal us by taking us home to eternity. All of them we win. All of them we win. Every single one. Whether it's now or over eternity. We're never at the mercy of Satan. The Holy Trinity never calls emergency meetings in heaven. I know some of us have tempted them to do that. 
And the Lord said, I think we need a special meeting for that character. I mean, I don't know about you, but they're wearing me out. But they don't call it. Satan had to get permission before he could tempt Job. Did you know that? Did you know he had to get permission before he could sift Peter's wheat? Did, did you know that he had to get, that, that, that Paul's thorn in the flesh was a messenger of Satan permitted by God? See, all of this is the way God works. But when it comes, you don't say, what have I done? You say, Lord, what have you allowed to happen? Teach me your ways. I don't understand. They're higher than my ways. So help me to get through this. Listen, John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Who is the prince of this world? Satan. And he will be thrown out. That's what he said when he faced the cross. I'm going to take care of Satan so that my children don't have to do that. In Hebrews 10, 14, we read, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same and here's the key words of the verse, that through the death he might destroy him that had the power of death, which is the devil. Jesus went to the cross to destroy an enemy that you and I don't have to fight. You understand? Get a hold of that this morning, folks. You say, man, I bet that cost a lot. What's the interest rate on that and how long are the payments? It's free it's free. It's paid in full. Oh, nobody do that. No, there is one though. And it's not flesh and blood. It's Jesus. It's the Father. And it is the Holy Spirit. Reading the history books after the Battle of Waterloo, Napoleon was in his war room with his generals. And he had a map of the world. And on that map of the world, he had the British Isles. Napoleon had conquered the world. The biographer said he went over to the map and he pointed at the British Isles that were in red. And here is what he said. If it were not for that red spot, I would have conquered the world. You hear? He was stopped by those from the British Isles. If it wasn't for that red spot, I would have conquered the world. Satan points at a red spot called Mount Calvary. The blood is flowing from Emmanuel's veins. And Satan says, if it wasn't for that red spot, outside the gates of Jerusalem, I would conquer the world. Every person in it. But by his stripes, by the shedding of blood, there was remission for sin. And he paid it all. We don't belong to Satan if we haven't invited Christ into our heart. He's washed us white as snow. He's given us a new beginning. But he says, don't go after the gods of this world. Don't go with the broad way. Go with the narrow way and do what I have called you to do. That cross, that empty tomb was the day that Satan was, or the weekend that Satan was defeated.
Your right living doesn't get you right with God. A lot of people feel like if I just start living right, then I go out of the, out of the negative into the positive. That's not what the Bible says. Jesus' death makes us right with God. And Jesus' death alone. The blood of Jesus, powerful. But it's available. Available. Shipping and handling has been taken care of. It is free. Free. All you have to do is acknowledge, I need it. That's what we've just sung. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. We used to sing, I need thee every hour in the hymn book of the church. I need you every hour. It is our unconfessed sins that makes, it, makes us vulnerable to, to Satan. Many of you today, many, many of us today have unconfessed sins in our life. And if we get in a quiet place, we can think about what some of those are. And you know what they'll do? They'll just drag us down and drag us down and drag us down. But if we would just take them to the Lord and leave them there, we can walk in the victory. Why would we want to do anything else? Why would we want to go in any other direction? Why do we want to be vulnerable to Satan? Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Don't give him any place. Be full of Jesus. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the love of God. Be filled with the ways of God. Be so busy doing what God's called you to do. You don't have time. And you can honestly say to your friend, would you like to go out Friday night and do such and such? Sorry, I'm busy. What are you doing? Don't know. I'm just waiting on the orders to come down out of heaven. But I know it's not to be with you on Friday night where you're going. I know that much. You don't have to put that last sentence in. They'll find out later, all right? Never forget the order. Never forget the order. It starts in heaven. James 4, 6. But he gives more grace. Wherefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so listen to verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Isn't that good? That's so simple. I could teach that to a six-year-old. That is so simple. You get it? Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Sick God on him. Say, so, Lord, you handle him. He's wearing me out. You decrease, he increase, and victory is won. So we submit to God first. We resist the devil, and then there's no reason why we should live an unclean life. And 1 John 1, 9 says that we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There are two things that Satan fears the most. Number one is the child of God that prays. For if they pray, and if we pray, you know what? Satan cannot do one thing to keep God from answering our prayer. He has no power. All I have to do is ask. Knowing it's the will of the Father, he's finished. A child of God that prays, Satan, Satan is scared to death of him. And a child of God that gives. When you start giving your time, your talents, your substance, when you start understanding that the greatest thing I'll ever do is become a giver instead of a taker. And believers are. They're givers. They're not takers. God comes first in my life. When that happens, a victory began to be won. 
And when God's children start praying and they start giving, they began to grow stronger in the power of his might. And that scripture in Isaiah 54, 17 becomes a, a startling reality to them. No weapon that's formed against you is going to prosper. Every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, says the Lord. Boy, that's what the devil don't want to hear. He doesn't want you to quit fighting your own battles and turn them over to him because he's never won one, and he isn't going to win yours. But you and I have to just know God is who he said he was. So in 30 seconds, I'm going to give you a formula for victory. Tell the people that Jesus is alive. He's risen. He is risen. Not on a cross. He is risen. He is alive. Now rejoice in every victory. Every time that, that we baptize, why don't we sing? We're celebrating victory. We had two young men come over in the first service all the way from West University to see a young man that, that uh, was baptized in the first service, and they came to support him. That's what God wants kids to do. Go and celebrate the victories. Meditate on the Word of God is number three. Number four, praise God in every situation. Learn to be content in whatever state that you're in, but praise God in every situation. And five, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You, 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 you. Now you want to go out and join the enemy, even though we win? You want to go out and surrender to the world? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think what we want to do is celebrate. Look like you're saved. Act like you're saved. Love like you're saved. And know that, know that the power is there because you're saved.